Ah yeah, you know what that sound is. Don't act like you don't. It is the sound of an uncertain future. Welcome to the Risk Topic Podcast, Episode 6. I am your host, Martin Rook, and this show is the show that stands at the crossroads of science, technology, health, and society. How are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? You good? I'm good. And I'm glad that you are good too. Unless you're not good, in which case, uh, what, what, what's up? You stressed? Why are you stressed? What's, what's got you stressed? Well, if you're a student, I know you lot have got exams coming up and that is, of course, a, a very, very stressful time. I ain't done with all my exams. That is, that is in the past. I can look back on that with fondness. All the things that I did wrong in my revision, that one thing I didn't revise for that came up in the exam, is doing biomedical science and it was a whole thing on fungi and I'm like, fungus isn't going to come up and no, it did. Fungal infections caught me out. Still managed to get a 2-1 though. So let me take a, a, a moment, a segment, a small portion of your time to uh, impart some of my personal best tips, tricks, hints and, and whatever to help students um because you know when i was working at my previous institution one of the biggest questions uh that i had students come to me and ask because i was a i was a teaching assistant there and they would say you know how do you revise how do you study you know what do you do with this um and especially mature students you know they had been out of education for a good few years and they'd come to me and they'd be like Look, help me out because i'm stressed i'm panicking i don't know what i'm doing here uh those of you who aren't students uh sorry this segment isn't going to be for you. But feel free to listen. You never know if you're sitting there trying to get a report written for work or, you know, you're stressing about anything like that. You might be able to find some use out of the things that I'm going to say. Now, of course, if you're sitting there wondering, oh, wait, 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 how, <laughs> whoa, what has this got to do with, with risk? Um, not much. It'd be a stretch, to be honest. Like, you know, I'd really, really be stretching the truth after to say this is directly linked to risk. But... Let's give it a shot, eh? One of the principal emotions that we work with in uh, risk studies is dread. Uh, that's not fear per se. It's sort of like a, a subsect of fear. If you want, you can delineate between the two. Fear is that immediate fight or flight response in regards to a threatening stimuli. You know, if, you, if you're sitting there in a movie theater or like you're walking down a dark alley or something and someone's walking behind you and and you know you you, you feel the hairs standing up you know hairs in your back of your neck start pricking you you start breathing a bit faster that's that's fear that's the adrenaline surging through you it's a complete and utter nervous response so it is immediate you know you hear stories of like you know there's a car crash and you know the, the mum finds a kid stuck under the car so she's somehow like a, a five foot three small woman is somehow able to flip the car over that is the the adrenaline surge of fear dread on the other hand is a longer and i guess you could argue hormonal response to a, a perceived threat stimuli when i say longer it goes on for weeks for months before any event comes to pass if it comes to pass at all now again we see this with uh or rather in response to a lot of newspaper reporting for example, you could be sitting there reading a whole load of things that uh, red meat will give you cancer as a part of a media landscape that is just bombarding you with messages that, you know, everything in reality is out to get you and hurt you and harm you. And so you internalize these messages and your body instinctively becomes hypervigilant. And one of the major hormones that is re uh, released is cortisol. 
there's been lots of research on cortisol in regards to to stress because yeah you could argue that dread is a state of being stressed but a couple of the things that, that cortisol does is it alters immune system responses as well as uh, suppresses the digestive system just basically your body doesn't work the way it should and some of the things that or some of the complications of having an elevated cortisol level in your blood it can be things like anxiety depression digestive problems headaches heart disease sleep gain sleep gain sleep problems and weight gain there we go memory and concentration impairment and of course if you have these things like poor sleep anxiety digestive problems you're also not going to be making the best arguably decisions in regards to operating in response to a risk uh, stimuli and as any student will tell you students dread the exams so much so that you know they they push the revision right off until uh until the end of the year sort of about now and they sort of sit there and go ah bloody hell i i've i've done nothing i need to start doing some revision and uh they start stressing out which obviously doesn't help the cortisol levels and you know the circle of life continues is where i'm where i'm coming from there ladies and gentlemen so right if you're a student and you're worried about your exams, let me help you to revise. Step one, it's not too late to start revision. The only time it's too late to start revision is if you're sitting there in the exam and you go, oh, bugger, I should have started revising before this. Um, some sort of revision beforehand is obviously going to help. Obviously, the more you revise and the longer you revise and the better you revise, the more chance you have at recalling those specific elements of information that you need to be able to answer those questions. And we'll get on to how to revise appropriately just a little bit later. But step two, look after your body. I cannot stress that enough. I've already just gone over the physiological side of stress and dread. And I know when you're sitting there in your third year and you're like, this is it. This is what it all comes down to. You know, the rest of my life hinges on this moment sorry to stress you out take a moment to step back and ask yourself how are you treating your body are you eating healthily start there if there was ever a time in your life to start curbing the junk food and start putting that just just a little bit of effort into preparing some food go down to shops just just buy yourself bags of frozen vegetables stick them in stews you know stick them in in tomato sauces you can buy cartons of passata which is literally tomato sauce for like 50p okay stick it all in a pot just just let that boil and simmer for like 20 minutes add one stock cube boom you have yourself a nice healthy meal put a little bit of pasta on the side of it and stuff like that get yourself your vitamins your minerals drink your water as well you know there's ever a great time to actually knock the energy drinks knock the high sugar content drinks from your diet it's going to be the next couple of months guys start with the fundamentals get your body to a reasonably healthy level that also does mean get some sleep i know it's tempting to sit there and be like right you know what i've got i've got three days i'll just stay up and revise all those three days that is a terrible use of your time the human body works best with rhythms you know you've got your circadian rhythms we work on cycles day cycle night cycle monthly cycles you have natural peaks and troughs elevations and drop-offs of particular hormones that just keep you functioning at a reasonable level this is one of the reasons why shift workers have actually quite strict laws or like you know what i mean people who work in warehouses you know they work night shifts and, and stuff like that they have quite strict laws governing how they change their shift patterns because if you start throwing spanners 
in the works in regards to, okay, I'm going to sleep six hours on Monday, three hours on Tuesday, 12 hours on Wednesday, and then not sleep till about Saturday. Your body is going to be absolutely wrecked. It's not going to know what it's doing, and it's going to put itself in this elevated state of, of alertness, you know, this usual repetitive pattern, this routine that a body's got accustomed to has been totally thrown out the window and your body goes, ah, something's up. I need to be ready to fight. Again, we're going to see surges in cortisol, which is obviously going to wreck your system even more. Get your sleep in, get yourself into a routine. Third point, take a break. And I don't mean take a break and go on Facebook. I don't mean take a break and play video games as much as I love my video games. Over the next couple of months, you students, when you take a break, go for a walk. Stick some music in your ears, even if it's just around the corner, even if it's just, you know, to the corner shop and back. You don't even have to buy anything. Just just go for a little wander. Because as much as you want to sit there and say, yes, I will read for eight hours straight, not going to happen. That's, that's just straight up not going to happen. You'll find like the one machine who will sit there and be like, no, I can do that. Yeah, I can read for like a month straight, mate. Don't worry about it. I got this. War and peace? Pff, can do that in a weekend. But for the majority of people, we're human. And we just cannot sustain that level of interest in text for a while. And especially if you're staring at a computer screen, you know, it is going to do your eyes in. Again, majority you're going to be sort of around the ages of, what, 20, 21 maybe. And you're going to be like, no, that's fine. I can stare at computer screens for, for years. Um, I used to be like that, guys. Nah, your eyes drop off sharply after the age of 21. So respect your eyes, respect your body, go for your breaks, keep yourself interested in what you're doing. And like I said, the, the best way to do that, I find, is to go for walks. If you go to the gym, hit the gym for like half an hour or something. Just just something nice and, and easy. If you have access to a, a boxing bag, like just go to town on that thing. Next up, get off social media. Especially if you tend to find yourself doing doing this thing, right? right where you, you go on Facebook, you go on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and you, you scroll down for about four to five minutes, and then you refresh. You, know? you go back up to the top to see what's new. That is a huge sign that you're revising terribly wrong. And again, you might sit and go, oh, do you know what? I have a little five-minute break on, on Facebook. I have a little five-minute break on Instagram. Um, 12 cute kitten videos later, and you go, oh, mate, I've, I've lost half an hour from my day. And again, you start getting angry at yourself because you're all like, oh, why, why did I do that? Okay, next time I won't do kitten videos. And then it will be cute puppy videos. And you're like, oh, God damn it, I've done it wrong again. More stress that you're applying to yourself. And not going to lie, guys, I've, I've had to download an app to curb my social media usage when I'm trying to read for uh, for my PhD because after a while, reading does get very bloody boring. Uh, so there's an app called Self Control on Mac. That I'm sure there's tons of others out there. Uh, you literally set a period of time that you're like, right, I do not want to be able to be contacted or be able to access social media. And once you hit start, you can't access social media. It's great. Next on the block, plan your time. Remember what we said before about these rhythms, what we said before about maintaining interest in, in your revision, having a slightly loose plan, I guess you could say, in regards to how you approach your revision material is going to make your life a whole lot easier and a whole lot more enjoyable. Look, if you know that you wake up at, let's say, 10, don't plan on just rolling out of bed 10 past 10 and hitting the books. That's not going to work. Wake up, have a shower, eat some food, and then say, okay, about 11-ish, that's when I'm going to start doing some revision. I'll take breaks every uh, 
every 45 minutes, half hour or whatever, little five, 10 minute breaks. Every two hours, I'll go for a little walk. Five o'clock, that's when I'll stop, make myself some food, have an hour to eat and digest. Maybe like two more hours of doing some lightweight revision or maybe even, you know, having the evening off if you feel that you've been doing too much. You know, that's the point then when you can be like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start checking my Facebook stuff like that. And then about an hour before you start going to bed, no more social media, right? There's research coming out that, that sort of demonstrates how social media stimulates your brain almost constantly. So if you're laying in bed, you know, okay, I'm just going to settle down now and, and check out my Instagram. That's, you're not settling down. You're ramping yourself up, especially, you know, if you wake up at three in the morning, you know, sort of big snore and wake yourself up like, ah, oh, uh, uh, you check your phone and you're like, all right, it's 3am. Let's check Facebook. That's mm, no guy. Come on. Or girl person. Don't do that. That last hour and whilst you're in bed, listen to some music, put on some chill step, put on some dark jazz if that's your, your thing. Actually, don't listen to dark jazz. No one likes dark jazz apart from like me and three German people. Settle your body, settle your mind. If you want, go do some yoga. Just relax yourself into sleep and try to aim for a good eight hours if possible of good sleep. It's a bit hypocritical coming from me who normally averages like six at best but i try i try to aim for more sleep now of course i haven't actually touched on uh how do you revise what do you do do you read stuff and yeah of course going over your uh your lecture notes your seminar notes revisiting material that's great you get to the point you're like i have no idea what this is about don't forget there are tons of other resources that are out there for free um and especially to help you revise for exams stuff like YouTube videos and Wikipedia articles. Granted, not high quality academic resources by any means. Some of them are, some of them aren't. But if it helps you get your head around a topic, then it's obviously some sort of assistance to you. Like, I mean, for example, one of the philosophers that uh, has inspired quite a bit of focus on issues regarding governmentality within risk research is uh, Foucault. I have never read any Foucault at least up until this point, but there are many people out there who, you know, have dedicated their life to Foucault, and they also wanted to share their knowledge of Foucault on YouTube. So I've listened to a couple of hour lectures about Foucault, and I'm no expert, but I can sort of understand where Foucault is coming from in regards to governmentality, and if I wanted to really hammer home my knowledge, that's when I'd go hit the books. Mix and match your learning is what I'm saying. Whilst you're cooking your dinner, put on a lecture on YouTube. Whilst you're sitting on the bus, get up a Wikipedia page on something that you're not too strong with. Next point, don't ignore the things you're not strong at. There seems to be a, a terrible tendency with students to focus on the things that they're really, really, really good at and the things they have difficulty, they go, oh, I, just, I just sit there and hope that it doesn't come up on the exam. Come, come on, don't, don't kid yourself. You know it's going to come up on the exam. Take the time to try it and learn it. And like I said, it can be daunting when you're sitting there going, I have no idea how to even start with this. You do know. I just told you. YouTube, Wikipedia. And then this leads us to the, the big final point on how to revise. Learn to envision your course material, your syllabus as exam questions. I have sat there with students and I've gone through exam papers with them and they kick themselves when they see the stupid answers they've put to questions simply because 
They didn't quite understand where the question was coming from. When they see how questions have been phrased, you know, academically, as opposed to, you know, a, a big slide on a screen. It's not as if any questions on, I don't know, let's say, feminist theory will have a big title page going, the following questions are on feminist theory. No, it's going to be embedded in the question itself. And yes, the question is going to be designed to obfuscate its intentions, to confuse you, to try and catch you out. So develop your own set of questions. And hey, here's a great idea. Meet up with a couple of other students on your course a couple of times a week. Meet up in a coffee shop. Have this as sort of a little out and out kind of thing, you know, rather than sitting there in your bedroom going absolutely mad. Be like, look, do you know what? Let's meet up for a couple of hours over lunch. And all we're going to do is ask and answer questions. You know, sort of like cards against humanity, but with an actual purpose, you know, you're not wasting your time there. At least that way, if you're unsure of a topic or you're unsure of an answer, hopefully one of your fellow students does know. And that's when you can sit there and go, okay, how did you get there? Where was this? Did, did we study this? You know, where is my lacking in understanding in regards to this topic? Like, help me out here. Because again, this is probably one of my, my favorite revision stories. Uh, it was the day of one of my final exams. And uh, I was living in King's Cross and I was going up to university in uh, in Hendon, North London. So just just straight shot on the Northern line. You know, so I get on a platform and I'm, I'm panicking. I'm stressed. It's, it's my final exam, make or break moment. So I got my folder with all of my lecture notes that I printed out. You know, they're covered in highlighter and scribbles and stuff like that. Um, I'm reading this stuff. I look up and it's one of my mates, Goken. He's there with his folder open on the platform. And just immediately we saw each other. Uh, I was just like, hey, bruv, what's, what's this and this and this? And if you see this sort of cell, you know, what does this indicate and stuff like that? And we was having a back and forward, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Like, people on the London Underground actually gave us space. You know, they sort of was like, nah, these these two are strange as hell. And they, they sort of gave us our own, it was like a little personal bubble. It was quite nice, actually. I kid you not, 70% of the stuff that we covered in that little question and answer session came up on the exam. That was just simply through creating questions based off of our lecture notes and look it's like i said this is the final stretch guys some of you might be going off to to do postgraduate studies in which case you know i wish you well some of you probably are doing postgraduate studies and listening to this same same things apply it's not too late there's no point chucking it all in now and be like that's it give up i suck just gonna resign myself to working a bit of a wage job uh no if there's ever one point in your life up till now where, you know, you, you get that eye of the tiger, sort of, you know, that, that, that rocky determination about you, where you put on some 80s power metal and just dedicate yourself to this. You will do well. You will walk away from university with a degree. It won't be that you've, you, you've totally wasted, what, nine grand a year on your tuition fees. You'll have something that makes your parents proud. You'll have something that you personally have achieved. Just remember, keep yourself healthy. Look after your body, look after your brain, manage your cycles, manage your time, take your breaks, envision your course material as questions. And check YouTube if you are, of course, absolutely stuck. And I genuinely do hope each and every single one of you who listens, the best of luck in, in your exams, whether it be second year exams, third year exams, postgrad exams. If you have first year exams, I feel really sorry for you, but at least now you know what to do for next year. Anyway, you can hear the music so you know that is the end of the first segment. 
Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about drugs. Yay! Everyone loves drugs. All right, see you in a sec. And we are back for the second segment, the last segment, the final segment, if you will, in this week's podcast. Thank you so much for for sticking around. I know last segment uh, did get a little bit preachy, I guess you could say. But we're gonna we're gonna lighten the tone a little bit now and and talk about some drugs. And I'm, you might be sitting there going, "How did you go from students to drugs?" And no, I'm I'm not making the connection that you're thinking about. No, no, no. I'm not implying that students have a penchant for for drug taking, drug experimentation. Uh, no, no. I'm not saying that that desperate students during their exam period, might make some very poor decisions and buy nootropic drugs off the internet or illegally obtain drugs such as Adderall to, to help them study. No, I'm, I'm not saying those things. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But the last, the last point in which I, I didn't say just then uh, is an interestingly new phenomena or rather a phenomena that has received quite a little bit of attention over the last few years. That is people messing about with legal drugs and essentially turning them into narcotics. Because, you know, when, when someone says drugs, you think crack, heroin, acid, MDMA, cocaine, GHB, ketamine. You know, drugs drugs that you, you have to buy off of a shady looking person on a street. I've heard many arguments that marijuana is not a drug, it's a herb. You know, I think it was the Cat Williams sketch that sort of said, you know, cocaine is a drug because you have to do stuff to it, whereas marijuana is is just a herb. Um, okay, I will I will let you indulge in your magical thinking. Come on, just just admit it. You know, it's the drug that you like. But yes, there there have been several stories of uh, students and quite a few professional gamers, let's say, using things like uh, Adderall, which is originally an ADHD medication. Uh, they take that, you know, to, to give them the sort of focus that they need or believe they need to get them through the day. However, there has been a uh, a new drug, I guess you could say, that has been hitting the streets or, or rather has been garnering some sort of media attention. Not a lot of media attention, but uh, a little bit of media attention. And it is known as furanol fentanyl. And quite frankly, uh, I don't know what to make of this one um you know i'm used to the drug scare stories you know i was around in the 90s i i do actually remember you know the big fear about ecstasy uh at least the uk media was portraying ecstasy as as being you know one tablet will will kill you stone dead you know it's completely illegal you know those dirty ravers take it while they go and listen to repetitive music in warehouses and and the like and of course uh quite famously professor nutt he was the uk's uh drug advisor and he released an article sort of suggesting that the actual risk of dying due to uh taking ecstasy was roughly about the same chance you have of dying uh from falling off a horse or going horse riding let's say i'm sure if you're actually you know falling from the horse the chance of you dying is is quite high but you know it's lowered if you're just sitting on the thing's back but either way getting involved with horses is according to professor nut more dangerous for you than taking ecstasy don't know if taking ecstasy on a horse 
or having a horse on ecstasy changes those uh, statistics in uh, any way, shape or form. But I'm sure that there is a PhD candidate out there who is uh, willing to test this for science. And well, upon releasing his article, uh, Dr. Nutt was actually sacked by the government at the time. I think it might have been David Cameron's conservative government. I'm not too sure. But either way, Dr. Nutt was sacked. And in quite British fashion, he went, all right, fine. If I'm not the UK drug advisor, I'm going to uh, release an article in The Lancet, you know, the, the premier scientific journal, really, in which uh, he and other medical professionals, uh, they listed drugs by danger. Uh, coming in at number one was alcohol, followed by heroin, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, cocaine, tobacco, amphetamines such as speed, uh, cannabis, and any other ones are sort of not worth mentioning. They ranked these drugs uh, by danger according to the harm that they could inflict in regards to an individual's physical health, uh, mental health, and social well-being. Now, what's interesting there is that heroin uh, is obviously the, the first illegal narcotic on that list. You know, after alcohol, lots of people drink alcohol. That's one of the reasons why it's so high. But considering how relatively few people take heroin, for it to be so high up the list, you know, it's got to be a real danger. Well, anyway, this furinal uh, fentanyl, it is reported to be several hundred times stronger than morphine. Uh, as we know, heroin and, and morphine are in the same opiate family. They, they do roughly the same job. Uh, heroin is just slightly stronger. And furinal fentanyl is stronger than heroin. And it is completely legal. It is a, a synthetic drug that is currently in production worldwide. Uh, the whole idea is to, well, limit pain. It is it is a pain relief agent. But of course, people have realised, or criminals have realised rather, that uh, there are those out there with a craving for powerful opiates. Uh, opiates do have a, a disassociative effect. You know, don't don't test that out yourself. Um, go go watch Train Spotting. You get a sort of rough idea of of what disassociative effects look like. So what people do is uh, they get hold of fentanyl and they repurpose it to be taken similarly to heroin. You know, injected or or whatever. The major difference is you need a lot less furanol fentanyl to kill you than you do heroin and there's actually been quite a few deaths uh globally especially in georgia in the united states where heroin users have gotten hold of furanol fentanyl and they're taking a dosage as if it was heroin and the effects are the same massive breathing suppression that's essentially what what kills people they stop breathing uh, other than that, there is the chance of uh, vomiting, but because of the effects of the opiates, the muscles just don't fire, and so a person can't roll over to clear their airwaves, and so, yeah, they choke on their own puke. Now, again, some people were sitting there going, well, you know, these, these are people who are actively taking this this drug you know they they are willingly consenting to taking a substance that they know to be potentially lethal into their systems they might get the dosage wrong but you know it is what it is however the one big difference between most other opiates and uh furanol fentanyl is that it can actually be absorbed through the skin it can be absorbed through touching it with your hands and you, you've yeah what happened there and if you have ever met anyone who 
legitimately needs to take fentanyl, it's normally given to them as a, as a patch, sort of like a, a little nicotine patch that they can pop on their skin and it's absorbed through uh, through their, their epidermal layer into their blood system. Uh, and it's still quite a potent painkiller. So this adds a whole new element of risk for for people who are handling the drug, whether they be uh, opiate users or whether they be police force or even someone who finds a strange white pill. What is this? I don't know. Pick it up. That could be more than enough of a dosage for them to really cause themselves some harm. And what's worse is that there was a recent news story of a discovery of a, a massive haul of, of furanol fentanyl that was mislabeled. It was actually labeled as oxycodone. Again, another opiate, but of a lot lower potency than, than furanol fentanyl. So again, there could have been a situation where furanol fentanyl was prescribed accidentally. People working for a healthcare provider could have accidentally given them out thinking that it was oxycodone you know people upend a bottle five six tablets in their hand no it's furanol fentanyl it's on their skin long enough for them to absorb a, a lethal dose and uh that's all she wrote really and this has actually uh received quite a bit of attention from the uh, united nations office on drugs and crime as of march 16th 2017 the united nation commission on narcotic drugs is uh stepping in to try and prevent fatal cases of of accidental overdose it's been reported to have uh, resulted in over 5,000 overdose overdose deaths in america and the chief of uh, the laboratory and scientific section at the un Dr office on drugs and crime has gone on to say fentanyl is a good medicine but a bad drug it has excellent pain relieving properties but is liable to abuse and can rapidly lead to dependency but it does, it does strike me as interesting that we hear very little about these sorts of news stories. You know, the, the news stories where there is something that is perfectly obtainable by an individual. You know, someone who is, yeah, in a great deal of pain. But it doesn't have the, the sexiness of, of crime associated with it. And it's only now that we're beginning to hear about these issues where, in certain places, fentanyl and, and furanol fentanyl is surpassing heroin as the most commonly detected drug in fatal opioid uh, doses in some American states. And as it is at the moment, there doesn't seem to be too much criminal involvement in the in the distribution of, of furanol fentanyl. However, you know, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Crime networks have been able to get heroin from poppy fields in Afghanistan, cocaine from coca plantations in central america and have been able to distribute it all across the world it's only a matter of time until they realize that there is a growing demand for something like furanol fentanyl uh so this might be an interesting one to to keep your eyes on see if there is going to be this mass amplification of furanol fentanyl as as time moves on as i said it was only in 2017 that or march this year rather that the UN has addressed this as, uh, as as an issue that needs to be tackled. It'd be interesting to see if this global war on drugs uh, will focus on things like prescription abuse or will continue to focus on things that have already had sort of a, a kind of social evil attached to it. Uh, stuff like heroin, cocaine, ecstasy, marijuana, so on and so forth. Anyway, you can hear the music. So you know this is the end of the show. Sorry, I won't sing again. Can't promise that. I might do. <laughs> this has been the Risk Topic Podcast. If you had enjoyed this uh, episode, 
Feel free to follow the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Minds.com and Vid.me. Just Google Risk Topic Podcast. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. You can follow me on Twitter. That is at Rook Martin, R-O-O-K-E-M-A-R-T-I-N. Share this episode with your friends. And as always, I will see you again next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye.